Father, we do, we do lift up this Israel trip. And God, as I said, I know some people, this is their once in a lifetime. And they've invested in it. And God, I just ask that your will be done. Lord, if you don't want us to go, shut doors completely. But Lord, our heart, my heart is, you would keep the doors open. And God, we just want to go there. We want to be safe. We want to learn about you. We want to grow in you. And we want to come back, Lord, just more excited about our God. So we do pray for that, Lord. We pray right now as we get into your word. And Lord, as we look at, at this section of scripture, I think in the, the, the rest of Galatians and the rest of James is we start getting real practical on how to do things. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, we're gonna read and look at what people were doing as they were doing church 1900 years ago, 2000 years ago, and they're struggling and they're having difficulties and things are popping up that they're having to deal with. That's what these letters are about, Lord, and we're having some of the same struggles, some of the same difficulties. Speak to our hearts. God, we pray today that we would hear your heart for us individually. We would hear your heart for us corporately as a church. And God, that you would be glorified in this time. And we give you this time in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we continue, one thing I kind of think we're all picking up on. Walking by faith is hard. Walking by faith and, and grace is hard. It's difficult. It's much easier to have a set of rules, a set of regulations, things laid out, and that's what you do. We gotta walk by faith. We gotta trust the Lord to guide us and direct us. And that's difficult. It's very rewarding. The thing I found in my life is the hardest things are the most rewarding things. And it's very rewarding. So listen, we generally will gravitate toward having rules and regulations, putting things in writing, because again, now we got it, now we know this is what we're supposed to do. Listen, Christians are saved by grace through faith, period. You can't add to that. You can't modify that. You can't strengthen that. You can't bolster that up. You're either saved or you're not saved. You're either saved by grace or you're not saved. So Paul here is talking about, now listen, having said that, if you were saved today, I believe the Holy Spirit is in you, number one. Number two, I believe he's gonna give you standards. He's gonna give us standards to live by. But the problem is, is when we begin to, number one, put our standards on other people. God is gonna show me things that are gonna mess me up. That doesn't mean they're gonna mess you up. It means they're gonna mess me up. I gotta deal with them. I gotta listen to them. But some of us, we make those standards a, a, a grade or whatever for spirituality. In other words, if I keep these standards, I'm more spiritual than you. No, not true. And that's the problem. That's where all of this comes from. And we need to learn and we need to understand something that the whole walk with the Lord and even these standards need to come from the inside with a heart of love, not from the outside with a list of law. And so Paul is talking to this group, and here's the interesting thing. In chapters one and two in Galatians, he was very personal. He's letting us know, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle. They've come against me. These guys don't like me. Here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I have authority, etc. Then in chapters three and four, he developed the whole idea doctrinally of what this grace is all about and what does it look like. And especially the last uh, 
couple of times we've gathered together. What does it look like as far as, let's go back to Abraham and let's go from there. And then he left off, man. We are, and I'm still stoked about this. We're sons. Remember, not children, sons, because we're, in, we're the ones who have the inheritance, and that's ours, and we're part of the free woman, Sarah, not the slave woman. So now, as he's developed that, now he moves in to verse one, and he says, in chapter five, he says, stand fast, therefore. So here's what he said. I laid all of this out to you. Now I want you to stand fast. He says, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. To me, that's so like, duh. If you've been set free, why are you gonna take this big old honking heavy hunk of, you know, in my mind, a hunk of oak, a big old nasty one, and put it on and carry it. Why are you gonna do that? He says, you've been set free. Stand in your freedom. Stand in the liberty that you have in Christ. Don't listen to the enemy as he tries to, trick you and don't listen to those who are telling you, here's the standard, here's what you need to do. If you were spiritual like me, this is what you'd be doing. When people do that to me, I just This is terrible, like come on. And here's what they're doing. I'm part of the haves and you're part of the have-nots. Too bad. That is not Christianity. And Paul says, why would you subject yourself? I, I love his heart. Do you hear his heart? He goes, what are you doing? He goes, he goes, stand in that liberty, man. Stand in what you've been given and understand that. And then, listen, now he kind of gets into the, the, the crux of it once again that they've been preached to. He says, indeed, I, Paul, in verse two, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. The whole thing is back to the circumcision thing. These Judaizers saying, here's what you need to do to be spiritual. You want to be spiritual like me? Here's what you need to do. And they're laying trips on the people. And from reading this letter, the people are believing it. And they're going, okay, well, I guess we have to do that. And, and what's sad is some people in authority lay trips on people, and they think they got to do certain things, and they begin to go do those things. You know what you need to do to be saved? Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and put your trust in that. That's what you do. It's not circumcision. Well, he's going to go on. He says, he says listen, he says, and, and listen what he says. It's important in verse two. If you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Here's what you need to know. You add anything to Jesus, and it takes Jesus out of the equation. Then Jesus doesn't profit. You can't add to him. He's complete and finished the work. And then he says in verse three, and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. So here's the thing. You can't pick and choose which part of the law you wanna do. If you're going for circumcision, then you gotta go for all 613. We've discussed it before, right? There's 613 laws. You can't choose, oh, well, I believe in circumcision, I believe in this, I believe in that, but I don't do this. You gotta do all 613. I don't think any of us keep track of all 613, right? Nod your heads. There's one, there's one I memorized because I do wanna keep this one. Do not eat roadkill. 
Well, it doesn't say it that way, but that's my interpretation. Like, and here's the thing, I'm never tempted to eat roadkill. Like if I'm driving down a highway and there's something dead beside, I'm like going, oh, please, God, please, give me strength not to stop. And I just go right on by and go, yes, kept that law. But then I break all the others. You and I need to understand, you can't pick and choose. And you know what, it's sad to say, in some of the churches, people start putting laws on. Well, some churches say right now, you and I, right now, what we're doing is we're worshiping the devil because we worship on Sunday. And we shouldn't be worshiping on Sunday. There's whole denominations that believe that. We shouldn't be worshiping, we're worshiping the devil. And they worship on Saturday and they call, call themselves Sabbatarians. I love to talk to them. I sit them down, so you're a Sabbatarian. Yeah, I'm a Sabbatarian. Really, you keep the Sabbath, yeah. I go, no, you don't. Yes, I do. I've done it all my life. No, you don't. Yes, I do. You see, you gotta understand the whole Sabbath law. If you're gonna be a Sabbatarian, not only do you do Saturday, every seventh year you take a year off. I start explaining that to him. Do you take a year off every seventh year? Well, no, I don't do that. Why not? You're a Sabbatarian. If you're gonna, if you're gonna keep one part of the law, you gotta keep the whole law. And this is the one law that you're boasting about and you're not even keeping it. And here's what they'll say. Well, I don't think that's that important. And here's what I tell them. Have you read the Old Testament? God seemed to think it was pretty important, right? Because there was a group of people called Israel that went in his land and they forgot to keep that seventh year for 490 years and God said, okay, this is my land, now get out of my land. Because you didn't keep the Sabbath year and I'm gonna kick you out and I'm gonna give my land the rest it deserves, so get out. And he sends them to Babylon. So it's kind of important to God, right? Oh, not only that, here's the real kicker. Every 50 years, you gotta go back to zero. So your land, you have to give it back to the original owner. Now, I don't know who we would give our land to. I, I guess, uh, you know, Native Americans. I don't know, you just, you just, it's not your land anymore. After 50 years, it's not yours anymore. Everybody goes back to what they originally had. Wow. And you tell people that and they go, well, I don't wanna keep that part. Oh, so you're not a Sabbatarian. You're just a partial Sabbatarian. You get my point? Now I know that's kind of going overboard, but it's fun. <laughs> Listen, man, you cannot pick and choose. Here's the thing, if you're gonna live by the law, then you gotta keep the whole law. And why would you put that bondage, why would you put that yoke back on you, as Paul says, and try and do those things? Because here's why. Someone comes along and here's what they say, well, you know, we're part of the spiritual people and we practice circumcision. If you wanna be part of us, here's what you need to do. Stop it, stop it. When people tell you, here's what you need to do to be part of the Christian church and they add anything to Jesus, then you need to bail on them. I don't care what it is. We can talk about the big one, baptism. I've gotten in trouble when I've taught Galatians before. There are whole denominations that tell you you have to be baptized to be saved. And if you're not baptized, and most of them are, you're not baptized in their church, you're really not saved. That just like blows my mind. It like, and I go, really? Yeah, you have to do that. 
Can you show me in the Bible where it says that? Where it says this, and I go, what about the thief on the cross? Well, that was a different dispensation. What about, what about Cornelius when, when Peter went to Cornelius? You know that story in Acts chapter eight? And he preached the gospel to him and Cornelius got saved. Then he got baptized. And oh, before he was baptized, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. That kind of seals the deal. You get the Holy Spirit, you're done. And they don't like to talk about that. Well, that was a different dispensation. I go, how many dispensations do you have? Like 45? I stop it. Here's what happens. You become a legalist. You start redefining things. And you start putting things in there. And when people start doing that with you, saints, run. Get out of there. So Paul, that's what Paul's telling these guys. Well, he's going to tell us to run in a minute. But listen, he says, hey, man, and here's what kind of breaks my heart. At the end of verse four, or verse four, he says, you become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law, and you've fallen for grace. Now, I wanna say something. I don't think he's saying you're damned and you're going to hell, because a lot of us get in a legalistic bent at different times, and I don't think, you know, we're unsaved one minute, and the next minute we're saved, and then we're unsaved. Here's what I think he's talking about. There's two spheres. There's the law, and there's grace. You can't walk in both simultaneous and you can't overlap them. You're either in one or the other. When he says you've fallen from grace, here's what he means. You quit relating to God by grace and now you're relating to him by works. And that's gonna be difficult for you and that's gonna be hard for you. And if you're a Christian right now and that's the position you're in, here's something I know, you're miserable. And I pray you get more miserable and more miserable till you learn to walk by faith and by grace. So here's what he says, man. You have you have you know, removed yourself from that, and that's horrible. And then he says, here's the truth for you and I, verse five, for we, don't you like this? Listen to what Paul's saying. He's like bringing them in, right? He's not saying you guys are horrible. He's saying, why would you put the yoke of slavery back on? And then he explains the circumcision. If you're part of that, here's, you've, you've ended up in this work scene. And then now he gathers everybody. Listen to what he says, for we, right? He says, here's what we believe. I love that. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly await for the hope of, the, of righteousness by faith. Hallelujah. Are you waiting for the hope of righteousness? By the way, biblical hope isn't I hope I get whatever. Biblical hope is I'm getting it. There's a day I'm gonna become completely righteous. It's when I see my savior face to face. And I'm gonna get that righteousness that, that is by faith. And you know what happens then? I don't sin anymore, woo! And it's by the spirit I wait. Listen, the spirit gives me patience, the Spirit gives me assurance. And Paul says, man, we're not looking at this other stuff. Now listen, I think there's a, a progression in our, in our walk with the Lord where we change, but we change from the inside out, not because someone gave us a list. And we're, we're gonna talk about that in a moment. But then he says in verse six, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. It's got to be that element of love in your life. It's got to be coming out of that. Listen to what, listen to what uh, J. Vernon McGee said. He said, my friends, uh, that's, how, that's my, I, I, love, I love listening to him and how he goes, my friends. And so that's about as good as I can get. Here's what he says. He says, rather than concentrating on trying to do good, we ought to just live good. Don't you like that? How do I live good? By allowing the spirit 
to have his way in my heart, and it comes from love. I don't, I don't wake up every day going, man, I just go to, I wake up every day and say, Lord, I just want to love you a little bit more today. I just want to draw a little bit closer. I want to, I want to get, I, listen, I want to get so close to Jesus that when he comes, there's no big change in my life. I don't want to be a person who's out there doing something foolish and the rapture happens. Do you really want to be in the middle of some really gross sin and poof, now you're in the presence of Jesus? How are you going to handle that? You're going to be embarrassed? It's going to be awkward? You know how you have awkward encounters? Think of that awkward encounter. Uh, Lord, I wasn't expecting you. Yeah, I know. It's obvious. Don't you want to be that person that, that the rapture happens and you go, Oh, Lord, I was just praying. I was just thinking about you. This is so wonderful, right? And so, listen, that's what he's, do you have that hope in you? And then he says this, man, listen, it's neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. You can plug whatever you want in there. It's, you know, it's neither baptism nor unbaptism. That always cracks me up. People with baptism, man, I don't know why, why that's, I, I kind of understand. It's one of the ordinances. It's something that God gave us that we do. But it doesn't make you more saved. If you get baptized, you're not, you know, you're not coming out of the water, yes, now I'm more saved. You're just as saved going in as you are coming out. But it's a sign and it's an expression to the world that you want to follow Jesus. And originally, I believe that's how it all started. They wanted everybody to know I'm following Jesus. Now, in our culture, in the States, it's usually not a big deal. We do baptisms twice a year and we all usually just have the church around. My wife drug out pictures. This is kind of fun. My wife drug out some pictures yesterday. I don't know what she was looking for. She was looking for something. And she found the pictures of when we got baptized. In 1983, I got baptized as a believer. I've been baptized four times. I'm in. I got sprinkled with water when I was little in the Serbian Orthodox Church. And my grandma got a little freaked out and didn't think that was good enough, my Serbian grandma. And she took us to the bishop to get sprinkled with wine. You get a little wine thrown on you, you're in for sure. So I remember, I remember my grandma took us and, and we couldn't even go outside. We went to California for vacation. I didn't tell the other part, this part, the other uh, services, so you guys are special. We went to California for vacation. Here's what my grandma did. You, you just to stay inside. I'm in California. You know, she didn't want us to get any kind of tan so we would be really white. I don't know why that mattered to her, but it did. So no tanning, staying inside for the first week of your vacation. Then we go see this bishop and he had the coolest hat. That's all I remember about it. He had this like hat that kind of came like, no, it wasn't, it was and had a big old like diamond studded cross on top. I'm sitting there thinking, I'd like to get that cross. <laughs> That's how saved I was. I wonder, if I, could, I wonder if I could like, and he'd never miss it. And then he sprinkled us with wine. So I've been sprinkled with water, I've been sprinkled with wine. I've been dunked when I got my Christian baptism. Then I got baptized in the Jordan River, so I'm in. I'm going to heaven, now I'm pretty sure. Now, and that's why when people ask me, is it okay to get baptized twice? Sure, you can get it four times, you can get it five times. You can get baptized every year if you want. Baptism does not change you. What changes you is the spirit of God working in you. Now listen, I know there are some people, no, you have to be baptized, that's not what the Bible says. 
Nowhere does it say that. And so here's what Paul says. It's not circumcision or uncircumcision. It's not baptism or unbaptism. It's not following this or following that. Hey, I remember when I got saved in the 80s, the big thing then was television. It doesn't seem as big right now, but back then it was like, oh, you have a TV? Oh, shame. You must be one of those. I'm spiritual. We don't have a TV. Seriously, dude? So now, what, it's not TV or un-TV. When I did get saved, talking about standards, when I did get saved, I threw away all of my secular music because it took me someplace. It was personal. I'm not saying everybody needs to do that. That was for me. I had all of the Beatles albums. I threw them in the trash. I regret that day. But I remember I did it and somebody said, why did you do that? And I said, because they bother me. They took me, they took me to a place I didn't need to go. I, I don't care if anybody else does. You do what you gotta do. This was for me. And I remember this person go, don't tell me what to do. I didn't tell you what to do. Obviously, the Holy Spirit is right now, but, you know, and I can interpret that for you, but I was really convicted. I even threw away some of my brother's albums. He doesn't know it. I just like, I clean house, man. And yeah, and, I'm, and he never listens to my messages, so he'll never know if you guys don't tell him. So don't tell my brother if you run into him. But listen, man, I just cleaned house. That was for me, and this is, listen, this is a standard, or this is what I'm talking about. That standard for me came out of love for my God. And I love my God, and I didn't want to hurt him, so I did that. That doesn't mean everybody has to do that. It might be something else for you. Maybe you can't wear tennis shoes or whatever. But listen, none of those things make you more spiritual. They're just things in your life you have to deal with. And it doesn't make you better than somebody else. It doesn't make you on a higher plane than somebody else. And that's Paul's point. None of that matters. He says the only thing that matters, listen at the end again, and neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. Now getting back, I never read McGee, did I? Did I get sidetracked? Did I read you guys, J. Vernon McGee? I talked about him and I said, my friends, but I never read the quote, did I? I just realized that. I just looked down and I went. So to quote J. Vernon McGee, listen to what he says. Rather than concentrating on trying to do good, here's what he said. We ought to just live good. I love that. Hey, don't focus on trying to do good. Just live good. Well, how do I live good? By allowing the Holy Spirit to reign in your heart and he will guide you, he will change you, and your life, you don't need a standard, you don't need somebody else telling you what to do, and here's how you do it, and, and this makes you, you allow him, and you just live good. So now, listen, moving on in verse seven, he says this, you ran well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? I love this idea, listen, Paul, Paul was a sports fanatic, have you picked up on that? Have you read his letters? He's always talking, he's talking about boxing, he's talking about running, he's talking about the Olympics and the crown you get. Hey, if Paul was alive today, it would be the NBA, the NFL, he would be referring to those things. He used sports analogies a lot, but listen carefully. He didn't use them to tell you how to get saved, he didn't even use them to tell you how to stay saved. He used them to tell you how to walk your walk. 
And he goes, you guys were running so well. I love that. You were running well. Who cut you off? Some translations will say. Mine says, who hindered you? Who got in your lane? You know, when you run, when you run, especially in the Olympics, you got to stay in your lane, right? You don't cross lanes. You don't go in someone's lane, especially right in front of them. That's not, that's not fair. It was funny. I was reading. So when I study, I'll read 12, maybe 15 commentaries. And I was reading commentaries, and in this section, they get off on the Olympic thing, and then they go. It was some Olympic in the 40s. I said 41, but I don't, they're on even years. So anyway, I don't know which one. But it was some Olympics in the 40s that people, and so this person said, you know, we'll just say 42. There was a 42 Olympics, and there was a special runner. She had never won a gold medal, but she was always close, and she was like running and right there for the gold, and someone cut her off and tripped her, and she fell and watched everybody else cross the finish line. And I thought, well, that's kind of a bummer. Maybe I'll use that. Then I read another commentary, and they go, you know, in the 1942 Olympics, there was a special runner. She had never won a medal, and she's running, and she's in her lane, and someone cut her off, and she fell down. And I went, hmm, that's two. I read another commentary. In the 1942 Olympics, there was a special runner, and I thought, I am not using that. (laughs) But then I start chasing something. Here's what happens to me. This is what happens when you have ADD. Like, I'm reading those things, and I'm going, well, that's three. So about five different commentaries quoted that event. And I thought, well, hmm, here's what I think. One of you's copying, one of you said it, and the rest of you are copying that person. So now I start looking at the copyright pages to see which commentary was written first to find out who's copying who. And then I get through all that, and I'm thinking, now, where was I? (laughs) Oh, yeah, Paul. Paul was saying, what happened? You were running so well. Who cut you off? Who cut in on you? You guys, and don't you love his heart for them? You were doing so good. Who cut you off? And and he says, listen, verse eight, he says, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. This thing happening to you, that's not from God. It's from others trying to interrupt your relationship with God. And he says, I have, verse 10, I have confidence in you. Do you hear his heart? I have confidence in you in the Lord that you have no other mind, but, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. And I have confidence that you're gonna make it. You're gonna have the right mind. You're just sidetracked right now. I kind of I kind I kind of look at him as somebody who kind of puts their arms around you and go, you know what? You got a little wayward, but come on, man. Man, let's come back. Hey, Christians, when we start doing that, why do we, here's what we generally do. Oh, you stay over there. We think they got the coronavirus or something, and we push them away. Oh, you stay over there. Get a mask. We don't want to be near you. Because Why don't you embrace them and say, come on back. Come on, man. You were running so well. What, what happened? How did that happen in your life? And then he tells us, listen, a little leaven. He says in in, uh, verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. I love, again, I love to study, and I love to read old dead guys, and I love to listen to current guys. And here's the thing, this always bothers me. When leaven comes up, there's the camp that go, well, you know, leaven represents evil. Every time it's used in Scripture, it represents evil. That is not true. Not every time. It's used often to represent evil. So what's the idea with leaven? Listen carefully. The idea with leaven is not that leaven represents evil. The idea with leaven is what does leaven do? 
You put a little bit, just a little bit of leaven, and what does it do? It permeates the entire batch of dough, right? So the idea of leaven is not evil, it's permeation. And here's what he's saying. You just let a little bit of legalism, just, just, just that much in, and guess what it's going to do? It's going to permeate your entire walk with the Lord. you got to be careful, saints. Keep it out. Don't let it get in there. There was a guy when I was a new believer. There was a guy who was visiting. I was, as a new believer, I was always surrounded by missionaries. Some missionaries discipled me, and I was always around missionaries. And, and this guy came up from Navajo, Mexico. He had, a, he had a Bible college there. And part of this is I, I remember he was at my house and sat down, and he said, hey, you know, he said, you guys, pray for us. Our Bible college is flooded. Well, I'm kind of a dork. And I said, well, praise God. I thought it was flooded with students. He goes, no, it's literally underwater. I went, oh, sorry. Well, God, and then I went, you know, trying to recover. Oh, well, praise God anyway. Romans says that, you know, we suffer these things and we suffer, you know, persecution builds hope and hope builds perseverance and perseverance and, and you know, that, that whole thing. And I thought, you're gonna be strong when you're done. And it's like, shut, be quiet, dork. But then, then here's the thing, man, he's there, and at that time, there was, a, there was a, a, a cult in this area. I don't think it was a worldwide cult, and, it's, and I'm not talking about Mormons. This was a cult in this area. And they, their main teaching was, if you got enough of the word in you, you could become God, you would be Jesus. All you had to do is get enough of the word. Well, that's kind of that's intriguing, but I had some friends that were involved, and one of them said, you want the tapes? Uh-huh. And so I took the tapes. Now listen, I was taking them because I wanted to learn to get them out of the cult. I wasn't necessarily wanting to follow that. Well, this guy, I'm talking to this guy whose Bible college was flooded, and I said, hey, here's what I'm doing. And he goes, you need to stop doing that. And I go, what are you talking about? He goes, read the truth, and when you know the truth, then you can dispute error. But why are you listening to something that's wrong? And he goes, it's going to influence you. And I go, obviously you don't know me. It's not going to influence me. A little leaven. And I began to listen, and I got to about tape three. And I went, here's what scared me. At the end of tape three, I went, wow, this is making sense. And then I ripped all the other tapes up. You see, that little bit of leaven gets in there. And Paul says, watch out. Don't do that. Watch out a little leaven. And then, and listen to what he's saying in verse 10. I have confidence in you. I'm, I'm so, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. Here's what he's saying. You're going to make it, and that guy's going to be judged. Do you understand that people who get up and teach the word are going to be judged for everything they say. I understand. Everything I say from this platform, I'm gonna be held accountable for. I take that very serious. That's why I spend so much time studying. That's why people will say, people call me the pastor who shuts his door. Yep, I am, because I gotta study. And I have ADD. If I don't shut my door, I'm out in the hallway. I'm roaming around. So I have to do that. Sometimes they lock it on the outside to keep me on the inside. No, they don't do that. <laughs> but listen, you're, you're gonna be judged. And here's what he's saying. Those guys, he goes, I'm confident of you guys. But those guys, you need to know, they're going to be judged. And in verse 11, and I, brethren, 
If I still preach circumcision, then why do I suffer persecution? The offense of the cross, then the offense of the cross has ceased. Here's what Paul's saying. I'm still preaching the cross. If I was preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? Because I would be agreeing with them. And he goes, but I share the cross. Have you found out in your life that the cross is offensive? You can talk about Jesus as long as you keep him generic and clean. As long as you don't bring up the blood. Just don't do, it's, it's fun. I'm from Bisbee. I love going to Bisbee. I love getting on the street. You get some of those, you know, the, the new agers that are camping out there and you go, hey, let's talk about Jesus. Oh yes, he was a wonderful teacher. He was a great prophet. Okay, yeah, he was. But you know what? He's savior of the world. He died on a cross. He shed his blood. Oh, they start freaking out. Why? Because the cross is offensive. Because here's why. The cross strips us, strips us of everything. And we have to come bare equal to the cross. There's not any hierarchy. Listen, I wrote down these things at the cross, why, why it's offensive to people. It's offensive to a person's morality because it tells him his work cannot justify him. It's offensive to a person's philosophy because it appeals to faith and not reason. It's offensive to the culture of man because its, truth are, its truths are revealed even to little ones. It's an offense to a person's sense of the caste system or social order because God chooses the poor and the humble. It's an offense to a person's will because it calls for unconditional surrender. It's offensive to a person's pride because it shows the exceeding sinfulness of the human heart. And last of all, it's just offensive to the person because he must be born again. The cross is offensive and Paul says, why am I still being persecuted if I'm teaching circumcision? Oh, and then, then he kind of loses it. Verse 12, I wished that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. That's what the New King James says. If you have another translation, it's a little bit more explicit. The new King James and the King James are kind. Here's what Paul's saying. If you're gonna start cutting there, don't stop. Enough said? Here's what he's saying, just go all the way and just cut everything off. <laughs> he's, kinda, he's kinda lost it, don't you think? He's like, Ugh! he's had it with him. Go ahead and do it. And I'll leave it there. There's some younger people in here, so you can go home and have a Bible lesson. <laughs> but Paul says, man, just listen. Don't stop. Go ahead and emasculate yourselves. Go ahead and go all the way. I kind of love that because here's the thing. You and I need to realize if something is going to get me into heaven, I'm all in. That's why I'm all in with Jesus. So if something else is gonna work, listen, if a little bit is good, I'm that guy, let's do a whole bunch and it'll make it better. When we first moved in this building and we have these air handlers that are really weird and we had that real cold snap, I don't know how many of you remember, it got really, really cold and everybody's pipes are bursting, we even had pipes over and the other building burst, but we had that cold snap and the way they set up the air handlers, we couldn't, we couldn't heat this building. It was impossible to heat it. So we had to cancel church. We couldn't bring people in. And this guy came down who, who uh, 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 manufactured them, and he goes, here, all you have to do is turn. They didn't have it set right. You just have to turn this screw like, and he went like this, dink. 
And I went, well, if it wasn't working, why don't you go dink and make it work really well? Don't do that. And that's me, see? I don't just go dink. I just like and go all the way. So here, that's what Paul's saying. Go for it if it's really there. For you, verse 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Don't give me that old story, hey, if I'm saved by grace, I can live however I want and do whatever I want. If you're that person, you're probably not genuinely saved. Now, having said that, in one sense you can. If you're born again and the Holy Spirit indwells you, he's gonna change your wants. And so in one sense, you can do whatever you want because he's changed that in you. But don't do this thing and start living carelessly and living grossly. That proves that you're not born again. If you're born again, you're gonna care, why? Because it's this issue of love that he just brought up. If you love the Lord, do you really wanna do that to him? I love my wife. I mean, I really love my wife. I really, really love my wife. And it bums me when I hurt her. And I do. And it really bums me. I hate it when I hurt my wife. Why? Because I love her. You see, I don't wake up some morning and go, man, I'm gonna get under her skin, and I'm gonna get her so angry, and I'm gonna make, no. I don't wanna hurt my wife. I don't wanna do those things to her because I love her. Well, you know what? It's the same with the Lord. I love the Lord. I don't wanna wanna do things that that hurt him. I don't wanna do things that bum him out. And then he takes it a little bit further and he says, all of us in this pond right here, we're supposed to be loving each other. with The same kind of love, caring about each other, worried about each other, considerate of each other. We're supposed to be there for one another. That's the body of Christ. And he says you need to do this out of love. Why? Because you're born again and the spirit is working in you. We don't have to have a list. We don't have to have a special time where we're going to have care for one another. And we all get together and it's forced. I don't want anybody to be forced to love me. I don't. I do what I do in the body of Christ because first and foremost, I love Jesus. Secondly, I love the body of Christ. And in our, in our fellowship with staff and volunteers, we try and encourage this culture of this. I get to do this, not I have to do this. We don't show up on, uh, at work and go, man, I have to be here. I get to be here. It's a privilege to do what I do. And it's a privilege to do what I do for the body of Christ. And we do it out of a heart of love. We get to do this. And then he wraps this up, but if you bite and devour one another, quit it. Start, stop chewing on each other. Why? Beware lest you consume one another. You're going to eat each other up. Now, having said that, Paul is not saying that all of us all the time have to get together, get our marshmallow sticks and get marshmallows and get around a campfire and sing kumbaya and roast marshmallows. There are times where we have to tell one another You're doing something wrong. You see, if you really love me, genuinely, 
and I'm doing something wrong, don't you have an obligation to tell me in love? Shouldn't you come to me and let me know? Sure. We owe that to one another. So Paul's not saying we ignore everything going on and we just, no, true love, true love will do something about it. One of my favorite stories, I'll end with this, Mike Dente, Calvary Chapel, Paris. I've known Mike for 20 years now. I keep track of about how old his daughter is. She was born in Bisbee. They came back to have her. But anyway, Mike came out of a church in Seattle, and when he got ready to go out on the mission field, I love this story. This guy is so creative. He does crazy things. I wish I was that creative. So, so Mike's having this, this get-together, and it's a, it's a love feast or potluck, whatever you want to call it. But anyway, they're all together, and all the food's out. And I, I don't know how many people are there, but there's you know, several people there, bunches of people. And Mike goes over to the table, and he gets a piece of mayonnaise, and he puts it right here. And he walks around. And some of the people go, hey, Mike. And he goes, oh, I want you on my prayer team because you love me enough to tell me that. And all the people who didn't mention it, he didn't ask them to pray for him. But everyone who mentioned, I want you on my prayer team. So you know what, the next time a brother or sister from this fellowship comes up to you and they go, hey, you know you got something going on that needs to get taken care of, right? And they love you, they love you. They love you enough to let you know you got that going on. I love that. And that's who we need to be. Listen, as he says this, man, you love your neighbor as yourself. How can, I, how can I possibly do that? Well, it's very simple. It starts with me loving the Lord my God with all my heart, all my mind, all my soul, and all my strength. And when I'm doing that, I'm going to love others. Fruit of my loving God will come and bear fruit for me loving others. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, we do thank you once again for the opportunity today just to get into your word and thank you, God, that you challenge us. Thank you that we have your word to turn to. And I pray right now, I pray that, Lord, this study today will make a difference in our lives. Some of us, some of us, we kind of lean in in a, in a legalistic fashion, and Lord, I pray that we would be set free from that. Some of us are kind of leaning in, hey, I can do whatever I want, and I pray we'd be delivered from that. And God, I pray that most of all, we would fall more in love with our God. And out of that love relationship, will flow living waters, will flow a life that others will be envious of. As J. Vernon McGee says, will flow a life that's lived good and we will be an example to the world around us. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for another couple moments. And if you are here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never asked him to forgive your sins, you've never asked him to come into your life, right now is the time to do it. The Bible's very clear that every one of us in here have sinned. And the wages of sin is separation from God. The Bible calls that death. You're separated from God. And Jesus came and died on the cross to pay that price he took your sin, took it upon himself, and paid the price of a separation in eternity, and he did it in a moment, in an instant of time. And now he holds out to you this receipt that says, your debt has been paid. 
and all you have to do is take it. So if you want to take that this morning, call on his name. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. That's how you take that. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And you just say this prayer after me. You've got to be sincere. It's got to come from your heart. If you're watching online, you can say the prayer right in your home. Say this prayer with us. You don't have to be here. If you're backslidden, man, come home. Come back to Jesus. Right now, he's got arms open wide for you. Come back and be set free. You're a miserable individual if you're backslidden. Say this prayer with us. You can say it out loud or you can say it silently, but you gotta be sincere. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And right now, I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. Today, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.